We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? What an answer by the Lakers responding to a game two blowout with a a demolition of the Golden State Warriors in game three, 127 to 97. Devo starts out with our first 11 points. Darvin Ham and the coaching staff, and we'll get into this later, made several really, really good adjustments. Anthony Davis breaks the game with his defense from the second quarter on. It was kind of a mirror image game of that game two, where in game two, the Lakers were up by seven at the end of the first quarter, but getting absolutely blown out by the end of the third. Same thing happened with the Warriors last night, D, and just I thought that was a fabulous answer by the Lakers on a number of levels, uh, made it several great adjustments that I can't wait to get into kind of the chess match going forward because I think there's some some really interesting angles there. But start us out, man. Where uh, What did you see last night in just a dominant performance by the Lakers? Yeah, you already hit two of the main major points, I think, with AD and D'Lo from like an individual performance level. I thought Delos comments after the game of him sort of being mentally in the right place to to play at this level um at this stage of the playoffs that's something that is shining through for me. I also think that in a series where skill guards are meant to shine, right? And we talk about the warrior skill guards with Steph and obviously and Clay obviously for for good reason and to a lesser extent but still meaningful pull i think when pull has a good game he can change the landscape for the warriors well the lakers have a skill guard of their own that is um a pretty good basketball player and i think he's showing he can play in this series (laughs) and the idea of him being a shot maker and a ball handler and a passer and a guy who can operate in the flow of the offense, but also take some things on his own. He can be the beneficiary of the attention that LeBron James and Anthony Davis draw, but he could also be the player that decides, well, in isolation, I can make a tough shot. And the playoffs are about tough shot making in so many ways. And I thought this game, when the Warriors are going to throw so much attention at the paint, 
and so much attention to take away LeBron's driving lanes and AD's rolls downhill, the guards are going to need to make that sort of defense pay because they're, the defense isn't going to change. Golden State's not suddenly going to start pressing up on the guards and and allowing roll lanes for Anthony Davis and driving lanes for LeBron James. It's just the guards are just going to have to hit some shots. And D'Lo coming out with the level of shot making that he did, I thought was it really got the team off on the right foot and gave them a spark and played into what I think the crowd needed as well coming off of a blowout loss, Mike. Yeah, a lot of guys had an impact, and I thought LeBron got stronger in those middle quarters. Thought he was really in tune defensively, and he had eight assists and no turnovers, uh, which was huge. You mentioned the shot making from D'Lo. Austin still, I think, struggling a bit uh, with you know, just whatever it is physically at this point that seems to be ailing him some, but battling through, and you know, still getting to the free throw line, making some plays. Lonnie Walker stepping in for Troy Brown, uh, I thought was yeah. a, an interesting adjustment that really worked. But uh, let's not kid ourselves. And this is about Anthony Davis. It has been the whole postseason. Mm-hmm. He he is just single-handedly destroying one of the best offenses of all time um, in a way that nobody else in the league could right now. And he's just he's also doing it in this game while scoring super efficiently. He was seven for ten. He got to the free throw line twelve times. He made eleven free throws. Uh, I I thought that he could have been utilized even more heavily and he of course didn't play in the fourth quarter so some of those totals would have gone up but you know he's uh he to me was the whole reason that everything was able to work last night uh, but i and, and that's i think a, an important point of emphasis i feel like i've been <laughs> in this like defending anthony davis uh, this postseason especially on the days not on this pod certainly you guys have been been leading that charge as well but whenever i go do any other radio or it's like oh so what's going on with anthony davis in these other games you know <laughs> and that's been a like a, a large part of the narrative um that has been annoying because i think he's been spectacular but i uh well a couple things so pete i wanted to to get your larger anthony davis thoughts but if we could start darius you you were pulling some stuff last night just about the separation between ad and everybody else in these playoffs with blocks and steals and deflections and if if you want to just set that as a primer um so that so that p can eat all that stuff up off the table um i would be interested in those numbers yeah so these are totals right so not averages per game but totals ad leads the NBA in these these playoffs in in blocks. So I think he's got like 37 blocks and like the next closest guys at like 17. It's sort of unreal. The level at which like he's blocking shots. He's sixth in total steals. He's first in total deflections. Defensive Pete, the Lakers rebounds. have the number. Yep. Yeah, it, it, he's first in defensive rebounds. He's second in total rebounds overall. One of the reasons why he's not first in total rebounds is one. Uh, Looney's played an extra game, but also Looney's just been so killer, like on the offensive glass, right? But the difference in re- in total rebounds between AD and Looney is 16, but AD is well ahead on defensive rebounds. Last night, he had 11 deflections. That, that is an unbelievable stat. Deflections aren't one of those stats where it's like, you know, a 50-point game, everybody knows like, oh, you had an amazing game. 11 deflections is insane. He had 11 deflections. He had all 13 of his rebounds were defensive rebounds, and probably six or seven of those were 
big boy rebounds in traffic, contested out of area rebounds where guys are just swarming and he's just going up there above dudes and just grabbing the ball and closing out a defensive possession. Pete, the Lakers are number one in defensive rating during the playoffs. And it's even though Austin Reeves and Dennis Schroeder have like individual defensive ratings that are like lower than than ADs, let's not kid ourselves. The Lakers are leading the playoffs in defensive rating because they have Anthony Davis on their team. He has just been you say that he breaks the game. To me, it's more that you have to account for him. AD has been the best player in the playoffs because his defense has been there. And too many analysts are like ragging on him because his point totals are so up and down. And I've been writing about this myself at Lakers.com. But focusing on that totally removes the idea that you can be elite on one side of the ball and be one of the best players in the world. And he is dominating defensively in these games in a way, Pete, where it's just unreal the level of which Golden State and Memphis before this has had to just account for him within their offensive game game plan, where it's typically the opposite. Typically, defensively, you're like, we have to account for Steph Curry. He's so good at this thing that if you don't do it, you're going to lose. Well, and it usually it usually thrashes your bigs like defensively. It's usually the big that's the weak point that gets attacked in that, right? Like the big adjustment in that game that really turned everything around was AD showing higher on Clay in particular, right? And the the stats that you were listing earlier about his blocks and defensive rebounds and the there's an interior dominance in that that is just spectacular. Very, like <laughs> this has only happened a couple of times in NBA history where a guy who can dominate a game like that can also be dominant on the perimeter. So I want to talk about AD, the perimeter defender, and what Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson were talking about a ton in last night's game, that whole idea of taking two things away at the same time. So one of the things that they'll run for Clay a lot, and they've run a lot this series, is a wide pin down where Clay will often start in the left corner. They'll set a screen for him, uh, oftentimes with with Draymond, or Draymond will have the ball and it'll be a, a handoff, something like that. Basically, Clay starts in the corner and comes up the arc of the three point line, and AD started coming out, and there was one play in particular that really, <laughs> that really. Uh, that really struck me in this like ability to take two things away is he AD came out high and Clay started to drive and drove into like that mid range twelve to fourteen footer type of range where he was a threat to shoot a pull up. AD jumps, he leaves his feet on the contest with his right hand and lands as Clay is passing the ball to Draymond who's rolled to the basket. So AD has contested this shot from Clay and prevented it from happening. He lands and turns around and still blocks Draymond's shot after it. Like if you jump on that, if you leave your feet D, that's something that, that you're usually toast, right? And if Draymond were an above the rim type of guy, a, you know, he'd be more of a threat in that type. Maybe it wouldn't happen that way, but to contest up high and then block the other guy's shot, like, He's Mike, he's stripping down low. And this is kind of my homework assignment for the listeners in game four and just going forward in this series. See how many attacks Anthony Davis gets on the ball. He's swiping at it when the ball's in your hands. He's swiping at it when you want to make the pass and deflecting it on ball. And then he's blocking it if if uh, you're getting a shot up. Right. And so 
the dominance, his dominance on the perimeter, I think this is the first time in Golden State's run where they've played a five where it's like, oh, this guy's actually great at defending on the perimeter. So I'm fascinated to see where it goes from here. So perimeter AD is is always been part of the underrated element of what he can do. And, and I think back to the bubble and when the Lakers really wanted to break some of the teams like Portland, for example, they did the same thing in a different system. Mm-hmm. And Frank Vogel just had AD up higher. And all of a sudden Lillard and McCollum are like, well, where are we supposed to go shoot? This dude's just <laughs> waiting there. What's supposed to happen here? Same thing with Houston when it was Harden. And of course they were going to let Westbrook shoot, but like the way that Houston shot threes and all of a sudden AD's up there. And then you can say, oh, well, he's up here. That means he can't get back to the rim and recover in time. Well, yes, he can. And that's Unreal. why he's Anthony Davis. And we were going through, we were texting some examples of defensive players. And when was the last player that was, that's been as dominant as Anthony Davis in this kind of a setting? And the first name that came to mind for me was Hakeem, probably because I was looking up stats the other day to see who had this many blocks and this many steals in one postseason and thinking who could protect the rim. But we don't think of Hakeem necessarily like we should probably like we think of him as a classic center, but he was of course incredible with his feet as well. Um, super fast, could cover massive distances and my, my all time favorite non Laker, by the way, Mike Hakeem Olajuwon was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, I, and you know, Pete called, Pete said homework. Um, if you don't like homework, just let's say special project, but go back and look at some Hakeem Olajuwon games. But so good. The, the name, the name that I skipped over and then immediately hated myself and had to had to voice text uh, while I was driving home was Kevin Garnett. And I think that we don't think of KG in the same way at the rim, maybe um, as Hakeem or even like this level of AD where he's going up and absolutely destroying shots at the rim. But he could do that. And he also was incredibly versatile with how much he could move oh, yeah. out to the perimeter and he could defend anybody. And he today, it's like somewhat in the way that Anthony Davis started his career as a power forward, as did KG for most of his career. But as a modern center, um, KG could break offenses in the current day whenever he wanted to as well. And so those that's the company. Uh, there are a couple other names and Darius mentioned several, but like for me, the the bigs that can that can also essentially guard guards, but then still recover. It's such a short list. And you can see the reverence that um, like when the Laker coaching staff talks about him and it's almost like they can't quite explain what it's like being <laughs> in the film room uh, and having this tool um, to be able to deploy. And that's why we're emphasizing it so much because it's it to me, it just is more important than anything else that they're doing right now. Yeah, I think the important thing is how big he is. Draymond's a center in a lot of Warriors lineups, but Draymond's like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, right? Like Ben Wallace was another dude who played center, but he was like 6'8", right? Like Dennis Rodman is like, these are all the names. If Pete, if you had me rattle off, like, who are the best defensive players I've seen over the last 30 years? Like, Akeem would be near the top of that list or at the top of that list. Tim Duncan, KG. And then you go into, like, those sort of wing-sized dudes who could scale up. The Rodmans, the Artests, the Ben, ben Wallace. Wallaces, yep. Draymond. Yep. These are all shades here, right? And as basketball fans, like, I've, I appreciate all of those dudes and marvel at, at all of their, their success. The thing that is so interesting about AD to me is, like, he's just bigger than almost all of those dudes except for Garnett and Duncan. And Duncan didn't really have to play out on the perimeter the way that this modern era asks you to play. And the thing that was amazing to me about AD 
in last night's game is his understanding and instincts around angles and hand placement and foot placement and the way that he uses his length to find appropriate spacing between him and the people that he's guarding in order to track them. The way he was hedging out high, Pete, and taking away the pocket pass with his top foot in order to cut off that angle and using his stab hand in order to create deflections. And then using his right hand a lot of times to like sort of help shade a guy. He was tracking Steph Curry on all of these dribble underneaths, right? And Steph tried to quick lay up him that one time and AD just swatted it away. And then the Lakers had the ball right there in their hands and LeBron and D'Lo both slapped it back. We fumbled a bunch of those. Yeah. And the highlight play at the end of that was AD getting dunked on by Andrew Wiggins. Right. And that's the play where the Warriors Twitter account is retweeting it. And like, look what happened. But the part before that, AD just sort of like stayed with Steph Curry dribbling around in circles for Uh a good seven, eight seconds and was just like, you're not going to escape me. You're in my tractor beam here. (laughs) And, and, and I'm just going to lock on to you. And then when you try to quick lay up me, like I'm just swatting that away. And his ability to do that over and over and over again, he sticks in your mind. The way, you know, these memories you have when you're like a kid and you're like, oh, I remember this time where I was six years old and you can't, you can barely remember four things from when you're six years old, but the four Mm -hmm. things you do remember, it's just like, it's, it's like that inside out movie where you got these memories that are just in your head. AD is creating those for, in this series for Warriors offensive players. He is creating these moments where I remember what he did to me on this and that's going to deter me from doing the next thing. Yeah, Mike, there's a huge like hearing footsteps quality to AD that he produces on top of all of this. Well, and I think the general part of this series and Golden State and why this stands out so much is that it's just not a coverage that teams can do without getting killed over the years with this offense and with Steph. And so they're, you know, you guys are better at this than me, but they, it seemed like they were basically still in a drop um, for, and like without, there wasn't a ton of switching. They did, they switched things up a couple of possessions, but that has been the thing that Steph specifically uh, in Golden State, like with Draymond and with Clay's supporting that, you just get killed trying to do it that way. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Davis seems to be the exception so far. Just uh, unbelievable. I, I wish there was a greater appreciation. Like when he checked out of the game, I thought Jeff Van Gundy appropriately was like, this guy sh- should be getting a standing ovation right now when he checks out. Yeah. Just AD's ability to hide and just be like, oh yeah, that's AD. It's like, no, that's you're watching something historic on the defensive end. So let's take a break. And I want to give a little bit of love to a player we haven't seen in a little bit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I'm so happy for Lonnie Walker IV, a guy who has stayed ready, who is just like a gem of a dude from like that that perspective of of like, I'm going to work, I'm going to support my teammates. He was, at the beginning of this year, oftentimes our third best player and fell out of the rotation on a team that had way too many guards, right? It was one of those things where somebody was going to kind of fall out and as the roster got more balanced, D'Lo comes in, they give Beasley the opportunity ahead of him. But Lonnie stays with it and gets his chance to shine in game three. And I thought he was fabulous, Mike. He, in that Sacramento series, I thought we saw a little bit of Golden State, like athletic guards can thrive against Golden State a bit because you got to chase them around, right? And that's one thing, one of my impressions after these first three games is the Lakers will be fine as long as they can put their track shoes on, right? If they're kind of going through the motions, we're going to get rolled like game two. But if you can sprint around, run around, play with energy, get up and down the floor, there's a place for you. And Lonnie Walker, the fourth, I thought did that, just did a tremendous job of that. Yeah, this is the, so I've been seeing of course, being at these games, you know, Lonnie is somebody that with a lot of pride in this game and that wants to play and just has to enter the arena and then leave the arena. mostly these nights without getting to play mm. and without feeling like he's helping his team. And a lot of times the guys that are doing that at this level, you sort of get it. And there's a reason for it. Basketball wise, you know, he's, he's been to me close where I've actually just physically just noticed as he's walked by me, you know, just kind of like, oh man, that's gotta be tough. You yeah. know, it's gotta be tough. Just feeling like you could, you could offer something and yet the rotation has been shrunk and it's just a, it's a, it's a particular kind of feeling, right. For somebody that's young, that's got pride that's still. And so that's, I think Pete, that's the payoff for what you said is why you can feel someone can relate to that feeling of somebody getting a chance and then Mm -hmm. um, actually hitting on it. But to me, it's, it's a move that, you know, it started with, I think Beasley when he gets, when you trade for that player and with that reputation as a shooter and you're going to give that guy a chance. And he did have some early big games. So I got all that. And then Troy Brown was pretty steady uh, throughout the regular season. Mm -hmm. And you even think of them slightly different uh, positionally in that Troy can guard up some, but 
And that's why in this series, more so than the Memphis series, when Memphis was coming in with bigger sort of backup wings and like they're playing David Roddy, they're playing Conchar, you mm-hmm. know, Dylan Brooks is staying in the game, which is going to be a Troy versus Alani thing. You're going to go with Troy most likely. Well, Golden State's playing more guards and more smaller guards. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's the first place where this thought starts. And then the offense that Lonnie, like Lonnie came in a couple of garbage time, uh, garbage time minutes. And you could tell he was out there playing. Mm-hmm. He's like, Hey guys, look, look at, look at how smooth this Jay is. Yep. Look at the explosion. Hey, I'm going to stay tuned. And that's by the way, that's what you should be doing. Yeah. But you've got to be mentally tough to do that, Mike, to, to be able do. to stay in that. And then you're up 30, but I'm going to come in with all this heat. Absolutely. Now, now, I personally think that if you're if you're not coming in and trying to kill in those settings, then like then there, there's something mm-hmm. wrong with you if you're coming in and playing casual. By the way, uh, shout out to Max Christie, net rating yes. of twenty point <laughs> seven in the playoffs, a killing. When Shaq, Harrison, Shaq Harrison was hooping too. Harrison yeah, our, was our, our, I, yeah. In fact, in fact, Shaq Harrison, I happened to be walking from the press room to the locker room when uh, when Shaq Harrison walked out and, Dar- and Darvin was right behind me and Darvin goes, uh, say, said something like, keep eating or something like that, son. And, uh-huh. and Shaq was like, you know it. So that, <laughs> that was funny. But to get back to Lonnie, though, I, I think Darius, for this series, it just throw everything out in terms of regular season and who played and who didn't play. It does make sense that he would be getting some of these minutes when you think about the personnel and you think about what his skill set is. As, as long as he can stay disciplined defensively, which he did, by the way, earlier in the season. Yeah, and that's the thing. So Lonnie's position within the rotation, him falling out of the rotation actually made sense to me in a variety of ways. There was a stretch where he was not playing as consistently defensively as Troy Brown was. And Troy, there was a stretch of the season where Troy was like shooting 40% from three for for a bit. Like, I'm not going to act like Lonnie was head and shoulders above and he got jobbed out of things like no like it was a competition and he ended up being the odd man out and I thought he handled that professionally now there were times too where during the regular season Lonnie came into the game and I felt like oh he's just looking to get his own here and I was actually sort of just like this is why a little bit you're not in the rotation but over the last month and a half or so, every single time that he's come into the game where where he's basically been out of the rotation, every single time that he's come into to the game, he has had this look of determination and of someone is going to be watching here and I'm going to play my best basketball. I'm not going to go out here and be a gunner. I'm going to lock in and I'm going to play with a I'm ready mentality. And Darwin, in particular, I think that's the thing he's looking, he looks for most amongst any of the players when he's going to give them another chance. It's in some random moment when your number gets called, were you ready? And I thought Wenyan showed that in the last series. When Wenyan got a chance after not being in the rotation for the last several games of the regular season, really, right? And then going into the postseason, he was not playing. He got a chance against Memphis, and he was playing hard. He made a couple of plays. He got on the defensive glass. He challenged some shots around the basket, and he did Wenyan Gabriel stuff. The other night, when the Lakers were getting blown out, Lonnie Walker came in there, and he was just like, I'm going to play. Yep. Right. The rest of y'all could do whatever you want. I'm going to play defense. I'm going to lock in. I'm going to be in my stance. I'm going to guard and I'm going to do the things that I'm going that I'm supposed supposed to do. 
And Pete, the point you made about athleticism, Lonnie is Lonnie is the best at in terms of doing all three of these these things he does cumulatively, he does them the best between him and Bees and Troy. He is the best athlete among the three, first mm-hmm. of all. But second of all, his spot-up shooting is better than Troy's. It's probably as good as Beasley's, even though Beasley has a better reputation as, as a shooter. And his defensive, his ability to lock in defensively may not be as good as Troy's, right? But Troy isn't as fleet as foot because he's not as good an athlete. And Lonnie is better at that. Yep than Beasley. And so cumulatively, out of all the three, you've got an athlete who can play in transition, who can play capable defense, and can knock down a spot-up jumper. That sounds like something that this Lakers team needs desperately against a Warriors team that is going to keep throwing out guards at you. I would also add that Austin struggles offensively and Dennis's touch and go like having one more guard. It's such a guard centric offense and it's initiated by the guards that having guys that can do that is is super important. Lonnie, I've Lonnie's really good at knocking down the threes you're supposed to make, right? Like clean with your shoulders square to the basket and you're stepping into the shot. It's a lot of times it was like the shot selection earlier in the season where it's like, oh, we don't, we could work the ball around. We don't really need that type of shot. But when he gets a good look, he's going to knock that down. Uh, that said, part of the reason he falls out is because he's neither a dependable on-ball scorer nor de- dependable off-ball guy, right? But I think that the ability to just run. This is a series, and the way that Golden State can really break you is like their ability to run and run and run and keep relocating and doing all of that. And so Lonnie's ability to do that is something, Mike, that I think really uh, adds a dimension to the bench in this series on a team where, again, both Austin and Dennis, their their legs do not look like they they did earlier in the year. And so it's sort of like that that fresh sub coming off the bench that has the yeah. 100, 100 stamina on his uh, on his meter is super helpful. Yeah, for sure. So I'm glad you brought that up. And I think that he'll continue in the short term to get some of these bench minutes. Let me throw a question at either of you. This is how sometimes I feel like when LeBron and AD are both talking at the podium after the game, and I'd like to get their both of their perspectives. And so you kind of throw out one question like, hey, whoever wants to take this first. (laughs) And you guys can decide who wants to be LeBron and who wants to be AD. So we haven't talked about Vanderbilt. And I thought to start the game. So first of all, his you know, his plus minus, not great in this context. Like he was in, he, most of his minutes were early. The Warriors end up going on the run, but it seemed like he was the initial piece that they switched over onto Draymond and yeah. and, and they had Austin on staff and they were basically like, we're not going to let Draymond just have this free run um, anymore. And then Vanderbilt could also switch out um, t- to either Steph or to Clay. And then it ends up being more AD but I, I just wonder if you're Golden State now and the, the Lakers have done this, like as, as tough it is, as it is physically, I think for Austin, I thought he did a really good job of tracking Steph um, through whatever is ailing him. And but I just wonder as you as you're the Warriors now and Steve Kerr is watching this film. OK, here's what the Lakers did. What is the counter to that? Uh, how much did the Vanderbilt switch make a difference? How did the Lakers still end up employing a similar tactic when he was on the bench and who was doing it the most? So I'd be curious for your take on that. 
Before we get to Golden State's counter, let's establish what I think the Lakers adjustments changed about what they were doing, specific to Vanderbilt to start out with. So putting Vanderbilt on Draymond is a way of addressing the Steph pick and roll that was really that really kicked our butts in game two. And what they were doing is they were just switching it, right? We had started with Vando on Steph the previous two games by starting with him on Draymond whenever they run their actions. Instead of getting into their four on three, you just switch it, and all of a sudden you've got uh, you've got Austin on Draymond and Vando on Steph, and so that four on three does not materialize. Now, I in terms of going forward, I'm curious how I, we saw some more like Draymond in the post, Jamichael Green in the post, but with Green in particular, Jamichael Green, that is Darius, you were really pining for AD to be switched over to him, and he was, yes, I was, and he was. Yes. That's exactly what the adjustment was, and so. The Vando switch, I, the Vando on Draymond, I thought really helped neutralize the Steph pick and roll game. What did putting AD on Jermichael Green do? So it put AD in help positions. If they're going to run actions at the top of the floor with Draymond and Steph, AD being as part of that action was unlocking Draymond getting down downhill. So the Lakers did two things with these with the shuffling, the musical chairs element of their defensive assignments, right? Because the only guy who ended up, no one defended the same person as they did the previous games. Yep. LeBron moved to Wiggins. D'Lo moved to Clay, right? Austin moved to uh, Steph and Vando moved to Draymond within AD on uh, Jermichael Green. And so AD was now in help situations. And AD was not going to guard Jermichael Green. And I said this the last pod. I was just like, this may just come down to put AD on Jermichael Green. And if Jermichael Green makes 10 threes. Hey, it's hey, Jermichael Green's night. Cap, yeah. <laughs> hey, Jermichael Green, podium game for you, yeah. my guy. Right? Otherwise, AD is going to be in help situations. And you're asking the Warriors now to still dissect the defense where AD is going to be able to sort of lock down to paint in a way. And that switch, and this is a combination of what both you and I were asking for, Pete. You exactly. were just like, hey, a way to shut off their water was by switching. And I was a bit dismissive of that idea, but that's because my limited brain did not see the adjustment of actually putting Vanderbilt on to Draymond rather than it being LeBron. Because Great I adjustment. thought- Yeah, I thought the same right? thing, yeah. I thought, oh, well, if LeBron is going to have to track Steph and be on the switch, like, I don't want to wear out LeBron that way. But nope, that's not what happened. And instead, putting Vando there, then if you're going to then say, oh, well, we still want AD in ball screens, you have to run a ball screen with Jermichael Green. Jermichael Green is not a short roll threat. He is a pick and... So it turned into pick and pops. And that pick and pop above the break is a much different three yep. than the swing, swing, wide open three in the corner against a rotation where he's got his feet set. And swing, swing. yeah, look, the swing, swing is the ultimate rhythm getter within yep. for a shooter. You see, you're you're just anticipating it, Pete. It's like when your favorite dish is getting passed around at the freaking Thanksgiving table, you're just like, <laughs> oh, mashed potatoes are only one step away. I'm uh -huh. going to get my mashed potato soon. That's how you feel with the swing swing. The swing swing is coming to the corner. Oh, ooh, it's coming right, right now. Like you're getting your feet <laughs> set. I'm ready for it. But it's a much different deal. And then AD is still closing out on you. 
right? So I thought all of those defensive adjustments and trying to shut off the water of Steph not being able to play. Look at the assist totals. We talk about AD's point totals. Look at Steph's assist totals from game one to game two and back down to game three. And that tells you the story of how smoothly the Warriors offense was operating against what the Lakers were trying to do within their defensive schemes. Pete, you probably have another thought on this too. I, I want to throw another subject into here as I sense that our times together um, is is waning here. And it's it's AD on offense and it's... So Draymond Green got in foul trouble. That was part of what helped Lakers in this context. He only ends up playing, what, 22 minutes, I think? Yeah, 23 minutes. And two of the plays, both of which got reviewed, were just AD not settling for the jumper not settling for a little mid-range and driving into Draymond. And then he did it again to get his fifth foul. And I love that. I, I do think at times like he might get called for a charge on one of those. And to me, like he is, Draymond is great. He's one of the best defenders. We already talked about that earlier in the pod in the NBA the last many years. But when AD is being aggressive, add Draymond to the mix of guys that cannot defend him. Um, but it's that, it's that caveat of it's got to be, like AD with the pedal down and not that he needs to drive straight into him. Like there are other things he can go to when there's the spin, there's the spin to the baseline. There's the shift to the middle. Um, he can face up and take him off the dribble. Um, some, even though that's harder to do on Draymond than most people, but just the, the mindset that he had to be able to attack on that end of the floor while essentially attacking golden States, entire offense on the other side. It's also part of what I've said is so difficult to do, for almost anybody in the NBA to be to be and that's what a two way superstar really does do. And that's what he is. But it's like even in that even with a two way guy, you're not going to get that type of performance on both ends every night. So game four, you know, how much can AD attack? Is there going to be a correction just in human nature in terms of, of letting Draymond be more physical of not blowing the whistle on certain ones of those calls? Is that going to disrupt things? Can that have the, the Lakers offense get stalled some again? And that's where Golden State can capitalize on the other end of the floor. And like that's the balance of what we saw in the difference between games two and games three, I think, to an extent. Very much so. And I think that w- one of the biggest reasons why is the Lakers started to initiate offense from the middle of the floor. And AD, a lot of those attempts and those two that got reviewed, I think were both when he was the role man and there were pocket passes kind of off of that. And so AD can be the guy that's like right in the middle destroying things and we started to post up LeBron at the elbow which was really the point offensively where we loosened things up and so in game two Golden State did a phenomenal job of getting what they want they want to ice our stuff meaning they want us to initiate our offense to try to attack them from below the free throw line and so I thought they did an exceptional exceptional job of boxing D'Lo in to the corner and sideline in game two and just the Lakers offense in general. So anytime we throw the ball into AD in the post when he's not moving, I think Golden State considers that a win. If we can get him the ball in the middle of the floor, D, he really has room to operate both as a driver and roller, but also just that little 10, 12 footer. He hit a couple of those, uh, you know, you can do some things out of the dunker spot. There are kind of combo passes that get AD the ball right in the middle, right there on, on clean looks. And so I was super encouraged by our offensive adjustments along with we've, we've focused so much on defense, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on uh, the offensive end. Because basketball is a flow sport and because of the way that everything is is interconnected, it allows other things to open up based off of how successful you are at this other thing. 
right? And so D'Lo going off to start the game with Clay defending him meant that over time, as D'Lo started to cook more and more and Clay wasn't able to necessarily stay with D'Lo within pick and roll actions, they ended up putting Wiggins onto D'Lo and they put Clay onto LeBron. Once they made that switch with Clay on LeBron, they went to that elbow series with LeBron posting up Clay because now, like, oh, I've got a smaller dude on me. And then that opened up the weak side wing pin down action for AD, where AD was then getting screens to cut into the middle of the floor. He got a layup that way. And then all of these things started to domino where Golden State had fewer and fewer answers. So I thought all of those adjustments of them starting to play through and attack Steph and Clay with screen actions, on-ball screen actions, off-ball screen actions, those were super effective and they weren't necessarily doing as much of that in game two. So I thought that was important. LeBron playing through through the post was super important. But AD's not wrong, Pete. Like, take I took the same shots in game two that I did in game one. I took a lot of the same shots in game three that I did in game two. He was more aggressive. He did get downhill more. So I thought the adjustments were more like, how can we pinpoint actions against their guards in order to open up things for LeBron and AD? But the guards have to do work with that. And that's why I thought D'Lo's scoring was super important. So moving forward, I think the, the ball is in Golden State's court. And I think the Lakers in this conversation has kind of fleshed out this idea that the Lakers are posing problems on both sides of the floor where if you try to solve one, you may exacerbate the one on the other. And what I mean by that, Mike, is so we were talking about AD on Jermichael Green and that ability to kind of be a help guy, roam off, I'll close out and still get a decent contest up on a so-so type of shooter, right? Well, the solve to that is either DiVincenzo or Jordan Poole, right? But if you go that route, you exacerbate a lot of the problems with AD and the Lakers on the other end of the floor, right? Of like, you're a lot smaller collectively when this is already kind of a problem that you face. And so I think that's going to be a big key, Mike, going into game four. Like, what does Golden State stay with this lineup? Do they go smaller? If they do, is it Poole or DiVincenzo? Just, yeah, I think that that's where we go next. Yeah, because I don't think that they're going to want to go back to too much of the too big look, which is already we've already seen what that does when Looney and Draymond are both out there and there just is not enough space because of Anthony Davis, right, for the mm -hmm. shootings to really take hold. Um, and they, the Lakers can just play so far off of Draymond and Looney. And it's a little bit in the way that Golden State is treating a lot of the Laker players on the other end, and like including Vanderbilt. And there's there's yep. a certain combination of guys that against this Warriors team who is just going to not defend players um, at even, a, I think, a greater rate than what Memphis was doing, that that makes the game not be able to go in that direction. So there you can tell like Steve Kerr is looking down his bench and thinking, you know, all right, is there which of these guys can I pull in that I can really get to give me something on both ends of the court? And guys, that's the playoffs. That's what the playoffs are. Yeah. How many play? First of all, what, what are your stars doing? And then after that, which guys do you not have to take off the floor? And in this series, Darvin Ham just added one in Lonnie Walker where, oh, wait, maybe this guy can come in and help. And yep. he doesn't have to be taken off the floor in certain contexts. And like that, that is right there, a little bit of an edge and a little bit of an adjustment. And you know, I do think, though, that Golden State will find something. Um, and they just, to me, the key player will be Draymond. Like that was an awful 
Draymond game after he had a great Draymond game. And the Lakers did make a major adjustment to deal with that. But I just expect he's the kind of guy that has delivered so many times that he's going to sure. do something better. He's going to have some kind of an answer. And even if that is just not getting in foul trouble um, and finding a way to bother AD some and, and or even drawing an early foul on AD, like that right there can flip the game enough for Golden State um, to, to manipulate some other actions that are going to benefit them. So that to me would be the key. Steph's going to be Steph. I think Clay will shoot a little better, even though they're, they've made that adjustment to not let him just walk into threes, which was... Uh, was not fun to watch from a Laker perspective. So that's that's the key swing player for me, though, uh, Darius with Draymond, and I'm curious what he does in game four. Me as well. I just wanted to say one last thing, and I'll, and I'll keep this brief. Shout out to LeBron James. Oh, Mike, by you the mentioned way, earlier, right? <laughs> yeah, you mentioned earlier, like the eight assists, the no turnovers, um, the 23 points, the, he knocked down a couple of threes again. The effort that he showed in the most crucial part of the game in the second and the third quarter. That third quarter, Golden State was threatening. The Lakers were up by 15. It was kind of close. They got it down to 10. Steph was looking a little bit like, I'm starting to get it going a little bit. He had an interior shot. He had a three. It sort of just like, ah, is Steph about to make his push? 10 is very tenuous against Golden State. Like that's, yeah. 10 is four, basically, (laughs) against most other teams. And so they always feel right there if it's 10 or under. And LeBron and AD, we talked a lot about AD's physical presence and his physical ability. LeBron fired one of those bullets that we talk about LeBron sort of keeping back. And he fired it in that third quarter. This dude had a turnover or whatever. And then he raced down the court as Steph was trying to throw the ball ahead to Andrew Wiggins. And LeBron looked like a defensive back in full stride, (laughs) like getting mossed. Basically, like this dude's running a fly route, a go route on me, and he's he's got me beat. And LeBron caught up, ran full speed, extended full reach to knock that ball away, hurdled two rows of people and ran halfway up the lower bowl. Just he's sitting on the bench, Mike, with his head down and they're putting ice on his neck. He's giving everything that he can. And I just thought those were the winning moments of the game where you'll never know it based off of if you're just box score watching or looking at the play-by-play, like, oh, they're up 10, and they go on to win by 30. But I thought that stretch in the third quarter was critical, and LeBron's physical presence, the block on pool, the scores in transition, the getting out and running hard, drawing fouls, attacking the basket in the open court, those were all critical plays to pull back the rope in the tug-of-war back in the Lakers' direction. So I asked LeBron about that play in the walk-off, uh, and you can you can find that you know uh, on uh, wherever on, on Spectrum's Twitter or my Instagram and stuff. And but the thing that I thought encapsulated it, um, shout out to Michelle on our social team, and, and by the way, Joey Ramirez who does an amazing job um, running the whole show, and we all know Joey here. But so there was a tweet, and it's LeBron with his with his head down, and it just says "Give everything" in the picture, so and I'm like, that that is that that's what it was. Like he LeBron pushed himself to exhaustion and before he had like you can tell this game itself is a microcosm of the season because in the first quarter LeBron was still in feel out mode when do I when do I really press the pedal down how much is there going to be to give what is Golden State doing like how are our actions impacting where they're running he's uh, the supercomputer is is operating and the danger against a team like Golden State is that as Darius you just you just referred to like in one minute they can score nine points and the whole game is flipped. And they did. 
in that second quarter. The Lakers were down 40 to 29. And I just being in that building there, you could feel the whole building kind of like, uh oh, you know, mm-hmm. like, wait, is this is this where this is this turning here? And then LeBron and we already talked about all the other guys in AD, but like LeBron to me was that was the biggest factor of he was the one that said, no, not tonight. Like this is you are going to get more for me. This is this impact that I'm I'm about to have on this game in transition. Yep. Um, just the full sprints, the and when he's doing that, how everybody else follows. And he did. He gave he gave everything that he had, uh, drove himself to exhaustion. And that was a, a factor that we I should have mentioned earlier in the podcast, because you don't A.D. Yes. But you also don't win that game without that level of LeBron that he can still give at this stage of his career. No, and you certainly don't dominate it. And I think that that is something that is an ideal circumstance for an older superstar like LeBron to be able to pick his spots and be like observe the game, not take a shot for the first quarter that he plays, right? And just be like, okay, where can I impose my will and when, right? And then that that give everything though, Mike, I think that that is still one of the biggest dangers going forward in this series is how often can the Lakers put on their track shoes? How long can they run and enforce their will and get out and transition? Two more times, Pete. Got to do it two more times, Mike. That's right. And and uh, but when they do, they look like the better team. So I'm not sure if we'll preview Game Four beyond what we've done here. Either way, we'll be back afterward to uh, to discuss how Game Four went. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Okay, so for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.